0: One of the more well-known uh, Peanuts cartoon strips, if you will, was of the one where Linus told his sister Lucy, I want to be a doctor. And she laughed and said, you a doctor? That's a big laugh. You could never be a doctor. You know why? Because you don't love mankind. That's why. And his response is, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. That's that famous little tag there. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have said something similar to that. Sometimes it's this. There are extroverts. I'm more of an introvert kind of person. I'm more of a loner. Sometimes people use the language, there's dogs and then there's cats, and I just identify, nothing strange, but I just, I'm just, i more like a cat kind of person where I tend to be more by myself. I think we can relate with something with that, that sometimes it's hard to be with people and live with people and relate with people. I don't know when this was written, but it was written by our beloved brother, Paul Earnhardt. This is something he said years ago. He said, What we ought to long for is a theoretic spiritual world about which we could move purely, a world without the inconvenience and annoyance of people's foibles and other people's needs. There we would be free to praise the flawless God untroubled by all human imperfections, save our own, and avail a deep, tranquil piety. We could do marvelously well, we think, if the behavior of others didn't keep interfering with our supercharged heavenly mindedness can you kind of appreciate what you're saying i do really well spiritually if i want for everybody else but such a spiritual world is a myth and such piety is fiction the church is not a monastery where we can find righteousness by retreat but a family where we can in, where we find joy in relationship there's no true piety that does not deal rightly with other people Life in Christ is a one-another affair. Isn't that beautiful? That saving grace of God that reached out to us, and we responded to in that gospel. Our brother Kelly so beautifully painted, given through the nails on the cross. When we obeyed that gospel, not only did it put us in a right, reconciled relationship with our God, it placed us in a relationship with all of God's people all of the same people, which is why Paul would say in Romans 12 that we are members of one another, and our relationship with God's people and with one another matters greatly to God. The way we speak to each other and relate with each other and work together and live with one another, the reason we know it matters to God is because over 20 times in the New Testament. We'll Find a command about how we act and treat each other They're known as the one another commands And today I just want to look at one I want us to look at accept one another A statement that is given in Romans chapter 15 Two weeks ago when I was at the Southside Lectures Brother Ken Williver who was with us last year for our Legacy Weekend Spoke about this passage and inspired some thoughts That I would like to share with you this morning Romans 15 And verse 7 says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Let's just start right here. What does it mean to accept one another? Your version of the ESV may say to welcome one another. What does that mean? If you had the New King James, it may say to to, um, receive one another. The word in Greek means to take to oneself, to receive to take as one's companion, to grant access to one's heart, to take into friendship, and to take by the hand and lead." It's fascinating, isn't it? Some of that language there is so rich to allow access into my own heart. I'm inviting you into my life. It paints the picture that we're more than associates who belong to the same local congregation and assemble here a few times out of the week. It paints a picture of people who are involved in an intimate relationship with one another and enjoy all the benefits that belong with it, of closeness, of trust, of deep companionship, of intimacy, my heart with your heart. It's that right hand of fellowship we're giving and extending to one another. Well, who should we accept? Right? That is what we are to accept. Who are we to accept? And right in the context, Paul explicitly describes the focus of why he is saying this command, and it talks about the weak in the faith. The problem that's being highlighted in Romans chapter 14 is an issue of the eating of meat that was sacrificed to idols. There are some there are some at this time and romans 14 deals with a lot of these similar kind of issues it talks about those who struggle with dietary laws it talked about those who focused only on eating vegetables it talked about those who seemed really bent on keeping certain holy days and religious days but the main focus in romans 14 is this imagine there were some in the first century and they belonged to a pagan way of of worship But then they met the gospel and King Jesus. When they were a pagan, they would offer meat in sacrifice to a false god and an idol. And those who arranged said worship would take that meat and then sell it in the marketplace. Well, now that they are a Christian and that meat is offered before them, they know what's been associated with that meat. And to them, it takes them back in their mind to a practice they were engaged with. Their conscience is pricked. To their Jewish Christian brethren, they think, it's just meat. Boy, meat is really good. Where's bacon been all these years? This is really good. Eat it and enjoy it. But to those who came out of a pagan background, it bothered them. They felt that this was still something wrong. In fact, keep your marker here in Romans 15 and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 because Paul deals with with the brethren in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, In verse four, Paul writes, therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there's no God but one. And yet, he concludes in verse seven that not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. She was saying, That there's a greater depth and maturity and understanding of God and faith and life in God and Christ. And some aren't there yet. Some haven't come that far. Some are struggling in understanding where they have been and where they are now and what is at liberty for them to do and eat and practice. And so he says in verse 10, "If, If someone sees you who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother whose sake Christ died. And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. This is such an apt summary of what Paul is saying in Romans 14. That there may be someone who has a very different understanding and a different opinion on the matter, And out of compassion and kindness and consideration for my brother, if I know what's causing them to stumble, I'm going to accept them. And that means I'm not going to do something that I know is going to violate their conscience. And so one of the ways we can accept, show kindness and compassion to those around us is that In the matters of our differences and opinions, if I know someone is bothered, I need to show such great patience and compassion and understanding and not enforce things that might violate their own proper understanding. So I need to be considerate of those who are weak in the faith. There's more. We ought to accept those who are different. And there's all sorts of different ways we can describe this. Right at this time, right at the heart of the issue in the time when the book of Romans was written is there's this racial cultural difference. You have Jews and Gentiles, different backgrounds, different countries, different languages, different races. And it's no different for our times today that even here in this same congregation assembled this morning are people who have come from different countries, who speak different languages who look different from our hair color, and our eye color, and our skin color. And yet all those differences are by God's incredible and beautiful design. And the point Paul would make in Galatians 3 and verse 28 about our differences, culturally or racially or or with our backgrounds, he says, there's not Jew or Greek or slave or free man. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. What's the point? We're all one. Same faith, same love for God, same love for one another. We accept one another. No matter our differences our backgrounds here's another one and this is for us starting right now I hate it starting again right now but it's just part of living in the United States of America it's our political differences I really don't pay attention to the news but I've heard bits and pieces here and there that it's already started the, the rallying up for the next presidential election and all the candidates are putting their names out and getting ready for the process to begin There may be nothing wrong with taking part in a democratic process that belongs to our country. In fact, there may be nothing wrong with voting. With taking an interest and an involvement in, ter- in terms of voting and, and sharing who it is I'm voting for and the candidates and, and the like. In fact, in many ways, I believe many of us who take place in part in voting and in politics see this through the lens perhaps of, easy, of what God said to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, verse 7 when he says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. In other words, this is a way that we can help make a positive difference in our land we see it that way and so there may be nothing wrong with taking an involvement and a liking to politics but i don't even have to finish it do i we know that politics can become so polarizing even among god's people that when this comes and you know we're gonna be tempted to in the next 18 months or so, we get on social media and we can be so divisive and so strict with one another and judgmental about one another on what party one is associated with and what candidate one is voting for. And brethren, when we do so, we forget the primary country of which we are citizens. It is not the United States of America. We are citizens of heaven, which ought to inform and shape every relationship we have under the sun. The real answer, and you and I know this. Let's not forget this. Don't be blinded by what's going to take place in the next 18 months. The real answer to this country's problems will not be solved in the next 18 months. It will be solved when King Jesus comes. So, it's okay that we see things a little different. That we may belong to a different party or like different candidates or see things in terms of politics and and policies differently we can still associate with one another and accept one another even in our different ways of thinking this is also true about our abilities. Father Williver talked about it as the haves and the have-nots. Then in our midst, there are some who are five-talent people, and God bless them with all sorts of amazing talents and abilities that they do so well. And then there's the one-talent people, and maybe they don't have the same talents that someone else has, and that can be a source of envy and jealousy with one another, but it doesn't have to be. If we look at each other as parts of a body... Every part is a little bit different, and no part does the exact same thing, but every part is necessary. Instead of jealous, we ought to be so thankful that we have so much diversity, so much wealth of talent and ability to be used towards the same common goal. So we should accept one another, even in our differences. We should accept, accept those who are restored. Those who have fallen away from the Lord, but by God's grace and His patience and the working of truth on His heart, they have turned from their sin and come back to the Lord. We ought to accept those. That's Paul would say in Galatians 6 and verse 1 Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. It's easy. And we've got to guard against it That when someone comes forward We may not say it with our lips But in our hearts we say Did he mean it though Like, Is that real Is that just a show I wonder how long it's going to last though Like, How long is he going to stick with it this time And when someone comes back Broken over their sin Confessing what it is that they have done Seeking God's forgiveness And the acceptance of the brethren Our role is not to judge their heart God's role is that Our role is to accept them with grace and mercy and to offer help and comfort along the way. Do you you remember that situation in 1 Corinthians 5 with the man who was caught in sexual immorality and the church was doing nothing about it? And Paul says, you, you've got to change. You've got to discipline the man or else he's not going to change, and this is going to get worse. And so they listened to Paul, and they disciplined that man. In fact, they disciplined him so much that he was so broken over what he had done that Paul's message in 2 Corinthians says, okay, it's time to change your tactic. And he says, sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him, lest somehow such a one be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. He said, you've done your work, you disciplined the man, he is broken, now it's time to comfort him. Now it's time to receive him. Now it's time to offer forgiveness and help to someone who is coming back, and we need to be the same. But people ought to expect when they come forward, it's not a litmus test, but rather brethren who are willing to help and receive in that broken moment that they come back to the Lord. We ought to accept new Christians. It's amazing isn't it when someone comes to Christ all the things that they believe in that moment They believe in Jesus the son of God who came to earth They believe In sin And the consequence of sin and the price of sin They believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus They believe in repentance they believe in baptism But here's the thing when someone is baptized They don't come up out of the water a mature Christian right away I know we know this, but can we think that through for a moment? If someone had a struggle, a personal struggle, before they were baptized, does baptism take away that personal struggle immediately? And so if someone used to dress immodestly and their closet is full of immodest clothing, does coming up out of the water automatically assume that they're gonna just put all that clothes away? Or maybe they have to learn along the way how a child of God dresses. If someone uses profane language before they're baptized, as soon as they come up out of the water, does all that language just wash away and goes away? Or maybe they might still use some words as they are growing and maturing and learning how a child of God speaks. There's a great deal of patience, good brethren. We have to give towards those who are new in Christ, babes in Christ, that the things you and I take for granted that we've been taught from our very beginning, especially those of us who have been raised in homes that are Christians, that there's some in the world are still learning. And if we just would give them time and guidance and understanding, they'll grow along the way, just like the rest of us. Now, a point for this congregation, that's true also of our young people. When a 15-year-old obeys the gospel and they are in the water of baptism, when they come up out of the water, guess what, they are still 15 years old. That doesn't make them 40 overnight. Which means, if you can remember, for some of you, it was only the Old Covenant, but if you can remember being 15, there's some immaturities about being a 15-year-old that don't just go away because you've been baptized. You made a mature decision, but you still are in in an age and a time of some immaturities. Sometimes young people don't make right choices. It's not an excuse. We all are there. But sometimes young people don't get along very well. Sometimes there's attitudes and differences that can exist among our young people and brethren, if I can say something, moms and dads, we make things a lot worse when we get involved in the issues with our young people. When we try and intervene and bring peace, when we take sides, we, we make things much worse for our children and the situation. Listen to what this doesn't say. Matthew 18 and verse 15 does not say, if your brother sins against you, go and take it to your mother. No it says go and take it to your brother in private. We are robbing our children of personal responsibility and conflict when mama says I'm gonna take this and I'm going to control this and I'm gonna fix this. Some of us still need to learn this. Sometimes when there's conflict the first place we go is to the shepherds and their first question is have you gone to this brother? Have you gone to this sister? Here's the thing good brethren, let's remember this that our 15 and 14 and 13 year olds with guidance and instruction and patience are gonna grow, and they're gonna mature, and they're gonna become seasoned sons and daughters of King Jesus. And so let's be patient and accept them where they are, realizing where they are in the future is not where they are necessarily today. Same thing is true of transfers, Brother Harold Comer coined that phrase the transfers those who came to this local congregation from somewhere else I don't know if you've ever worshiped anywhere else in another state in another congregation every local church is so different and they have their own flavor and it can be really different to come in here and to say you know this isn't like home and I think we ought to change things up and spice things up but maybe instead there's a two-way street that I need to accept these brethren for who they are where they are and just as we need to accept those who come from different places who may see things a little different, speak a little different, look a little different. I remember when we moved down here, Holly was in her car and I was in my car, and I remember I hadn't drove to Dallas, I'd flown here to see you all. As soon as I came into Texas, I thought, you know, they like stars down here, because they put stars on everything, on the signs, on the highways, on the houses, like stars are everywhere, it's a Texas thing, they like stars down here. Then I got into Dallas, And like everywhere was this Whataburger thing, like everywhere, orange, hideous orange everywhere. But these Whataburgers, I don't even know what this is, but they like it. They like it a lot. I still remember my first Sunday when I came in, and all I saw, I've never seen it before, never, are all these boots. But it's not just boots, but it's the boot and the suit combination. And I thought, in what world would you think that that goes together? Cowboy boots (laughs) and suits. But you pull it off and I have accepted you (laughs) for who you are just as you have accepted me in the quirky ways that we are. You see the greater point on the board? Our differences can become disagreements if we allow them but the message of Paul is even in our differences. Let's see the greater motivation that we be motivated and driven by love and accept one another. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 7 of Christ... Accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Christ has forgiven us of our sins. Christ has removed the stain of our past. And it's not that we are now outsiders looking in through the window of the family gathering before the throne of God. What does John say in 1 John 1, verse 6? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That's not me and you. That's me and God. That's us and the Father. We have fellowship with Christ, and if Christ has welcomed and forgiven and extended this, this warm relationship with us and him, then we ought to do the same with one another, and so we accept one another because that's what Christ has done for us. We also do so because we are a family. Right? That is one of the greatest motifs given about the church in the New Testament is this language of family. Family. We're not merely workers. We're not coworkers. We're not just partners. We are brothers and sisters. And so Paul would write in 1 Timothy 3.15, in case I'm delayed, I write to you so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. There's a difference between family, and we say that all the time. Your family, act like it. Your siblings, that's your sister, that's your brother. And so act like him. There's a book that was written about fatherhood by Josh McDowell, and he asked this question. He said, do you love your child because of what they do or because of who they are? I think of that. Do I love my child because of their perfect performance, because they get perfect grades, because they perfectly perform in athletics, because they have perfect behavior, or do I love them simply because they are my child? How much deeper, brethren, for you and I, for us, for you and me? We love each other, not based on perfect performance or perfect union in the way that we see every matter and every discussion, but we love each other because we're family. Because Jesus died for you as he died for me, he died for us, and as family, we stick together. And as family, we give a great deal of patience and grace towards one another. Family never gives up on family, and that is our driving motivation for why we accept one another, and ultimately because of the unity of the body. Paul would write in Ephesians 4, verse 3, that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That is what God's goal for his people is, is to be united, united in our hearts, united in mind, united in faith, united in love. But notice the passage on the board, make every effort to be united, Connect the thoughts. Unity matters to God. Unity doesn't come naturally. We have to work at unity. There's a lot of effort that goes into unity. There's a difference between the word union and unity. There can be union without unity. You know how we know so? Have you seen one of the more modern uh, discipline techniques by parents when their children are not getting along? They get a really big T-shirt and they put it over both kids and they say, get along. There is union, but look at those faces. There is no unity going on right there in that moment at all. We can be in the same congregation. We can be in the same directory. In fact, we could be sitting on the exact same pew, but that doesn't mean that we're united. It takes a lot of work, brethren, and let let me just share a thought. That's all this is. Just an observation I was thinking through last night. I mean no personal judgment about this. I just want you to think about this, about a struggle. Unity takes a lot of work to work through our differences and to be one. And I believe we struggle with this. I don't just mean this local congregation. I mean we as the churches and the people of God in America. Because what you see a lot is when those disagreements and difficulties arise, instead of working it out, And seeing it through, I'm just gonna go down the street and I'm gonna go to this church and into this church and into this church. I'm going to hop and move around instead of facing the issue and working it out like family. I'm not saying there's not a reason to leave a local congregation or to change. But I will say, if you look at our society, don't you see it in the workplace today? I don't really get along with my coworkers, so I go from job to job to job to job. I'm having a lot of conflicts at home, and so I go from marriage to marriage to marriage to marriage instead of staying and working it through. Unity takes great effort to be of the same mind and the same heart and the same focus, united in the same intent with the same love towards one another. How do we do it? How do we accept one another? Well, first of all, we remember the truth, that there's room for differences. In Romans chapter 14, go to Romans 14, beginning in verse 1. Romans 14, Paul begins this section by saying, "...now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only." The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, let's hear that again in verse 1. We are not to judge one another on the basis of our opinions. The NIV would say disputable matters. We're not talking about doctrine. We're not talking about thus says the Lord. We're not talking about what the scripture clearly and explicitly says that we can conclude from the word of God. This is not talking about holy, righteous living as outlined in Ephesians 4. This is not talking about social drinking. This is not talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We're talking about matters of opinion where the word of God is not explicitly stated and you and I are trying to the best of our abilities to do the will of God, making our own choices. And Paul says, stop it. Stop it. Stop judging one another on the basis of your own opinions. If we are not careful, brethren, we will elevate our think-sos to the same status as God says-sos. Our opinions are disputable matters to the level of doctrine. And that only results in us being hypercritical of one another simply because we don't perfectly align in how we see everything. We speak the truth. We preach the truth. We stand on the truth. And at this local congregation, I can speak for my mentor and, and fellow laborer that we preach the whole counsel of God, and there is nothing in this word that we are ashamed of and we stand for And so we speak the truth. But I want you to listen. We need to hear this, brethren. We stand and speak boldly the word of God and the truth, but when it comes to our opinions, Paul says, keep it to yourself. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Speak the truth. Keep our opinions to ourselves. Why? Because only in sharing them am I making it an issue for other people. In sharing them, I am seeking a figure in the eyes of those who disagree. I'm making a test of faithfulness where God has not made this a standard of what is right and wrong. And so if I have an opinion, I need to keep it between myself and God and hold to that with the truest intention of being pleasing to God in all things. That's one of the ways we accept one another. There are rooms for differences among us. We also need to remember the motivation. Let all that we do be done in love. Go down to verse 15 of this context. In verse 15 of of Romans 14 he says, For because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. What is my motive? Is it to try and make everyone the same as me? Is it to push my thoughts and my opinions and my ways on others, no matter what it is, no matter what the consequence? We can do a lot of harm, good brethren, when we enforce our thoughts and our ways and our opinions down the thoughts and the necks and the hearts of those around us. Paul would say in verse 19 of this context, let us pursue things which make for peace and building up of one another you cannot build up another we cannot build up others when we are tearing others down what's my motive if i know someone struggles with this if I know someone has a different opinion and they are convicted about this, that this would cause them in the context to grieve as if mourning a loss of a loved one, then I am not about, out of love and motivation for, uh, for their well-being, to put this, this, this thought, this opinion, this matter that does not matter before them. My main motivation in relating to one another on things that are not truth but opinion is love. Is love. What I want most out of you is to help you be built up into the image of Christ. I want to build you up as I hope you will build me up. I want to strengthen you, not tear you down. I want to leave you with hope and not leave you in despair. I'm not talking about truth. We're not talking about truth. We're talking about opinions. Which is why what we ought to remember most most foremost in all of this is that perfect example of Jesus. That's how chapter 15 begins. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of, of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. For even did not, Christ did not please himself, but as, that is, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. We're not people pleasers. We're not man-pleasers, we're Christ-pleasers. And he says, I know all this seems so, so difficult in the moment, and all your disagreements seem so charged. Let's just look to the example of Jesus. Let's let him be our guide. Jesus, who listened to the woman by the well. Jesus, who invited the man in the tree, the tax collector, to come out of that tree and go home for dinner. Jesus, who welcomed that woman who was so full of sin into his presence and to wipe his feet with her tears and with her hair. Jesus, who allowed a man in the veil of of midnight to have a deep conversation about the kingdom of God. Jesus, who listened to a centurion and then, out of compassion, healed the man's servant. Or Jesus, who took the time to listen to a woman with the issue of blood to tell her whole story. And Jesus, who went with a father whose daughter was dying, he listened. He welcomed the people who were not accepted by the world around them found an accepting place in the Savior. Maybe we need to make the distinction because it all comes here, doesn't it? He accepted them without approving their lifestyles. They came just as they are, but Jesus instructed them. He instructed them about the kingdom of God. He instructed them about the will of God and in offering them forgiveness responded by saying, now go your way and sin no more. I can accept without approving lifestyles and approving sin. But maybe no one would ever be in a heart to receive that truth if they were not first shown that love and kindness and compassion. Brethren, it's all about people. It's all about people. This church is all about people. It's a one another affair. The Lord has been good to this church, and we have tasted by His grace growth. As we continue to grow, imagine, imagine how unified we will be. Imagine how close knit we can be. Imagine how devoted to love we would be if we would take a page from the Apostle Paul and let whatever it is we do, whether if we live or we die, to be a people committed to the Lord, to doing what it is the Lord would do. And that's where it starts. It's all about Jesus. It's all about knowing Jesus. It's all about following Jesus. It's all about striving to become more and more like Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you've gathered this morning and you find yourself far from the Savior, then today needs to be the day that you make that change make a change in your life, that you turn from your sin, confess he is Lord, put him on in baptism and be, right now, adopted into his family and living heaven bound. For the rest, and this is a wonderful moment, one of those turning point kind of moments, that if while we are here and I need to take this message and walk it off the page, I need to really consider, have I allowed my opinions, not the word of God, not truth, but my opinions on how to live before God, if I've let them come between me and another brother, and another sister, and I've been so critical in the things that I have said and acted, then I need to repent of that. There's no opinion that trumps the love and the law of God. We We may have a great deal of liberty in terms of how it is we live out the commands of God where he has not spoken in our own opinions and matters, but we have no liberty when it comes to how we treat one another. God expects us, good brethren, to love one another and to accept one another. And if I've struggled with that today, then right now in this song, I need to make that right with God. And so if we can help you, pray for you, if anything we can do to serve you this morning, let's do it right now. Let's do it as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.